It's an exciting day here at Divine Savior. As I said at the beginning of the service, today is our ministry kickoff Sunday, uh, where we're kicking off all kinds of new ministry here at Divine Savior. Uh, every September, the, the weekend after Labor Day, we kick off a new season of ministry, and this year we have expanded ministry, uh, and it's really exciting. Today we kick off a brand new round of Connect Groups, which will start next week. We kick off a new starting point class, which is a, class, a nine-week class that teaches us who God is and what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us. Uh, we kick off a brand new DS youth program. We've never had a youth group before, and now we do. And we've kicked off a brand new DS kids program, new curriculum, and an expanded DS kids program from thir- three-year-olds through sixth grade. And on top of that, we start this brand new uh, series called Mission Possible. What mission are we talking about? It's the mission that Jesus gave his church to go and make disciples. And so for the next five weeks, we are going to look at going and making disciples. We're going to see the why, the how, the means. We're going to see the sustainability of this. We are going to see how it gives us meaning and purpose in life to go and make disciples. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five verses of Scripture, the exact same five, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And if you're sitting there wondering how I'm going to get five sermons out of that, I'm wondering too, so come back and find out over the next five weeks. I'm just kidding. I have an idea of how I'm going to do it. Um, But this is what we're going to talk about. And today we look at I could never. As we talk about going and making disciples, I'm sure that there's a part of you that feels a little uncomfortable with that. For Christians, it's one of the things that we like to throw up our hands and say, ooh, isn't that pastor's job? Isn't that church staff's job? That's not really my role. I don't feel comfortable with that. I could never do that. And maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, why should I push my religion on someone else? Maybe others of you are here, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe you're not a Christian, you're thinking to yourself, classic Christianity, always trying to push their religion and their agendas on other people. And so today... We want to answer those questions by looking at why do we go and make disciples? Why do we do it? Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, like I said, over the next several weeks, and today we're going to see why we go and do it. Let me give you the context here. Matthew 28, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, and then he spent 40 days on earth appearing to his disciples. Uh, and to other believers. Uh, Probably 500 to 750 people saw Jesus uh, while he was on earth for those 40 days after he rose from the dead. Matthew 28 records one of those times that Jesus appeared to his 11 disciples. Not 12. Judas had committed suicide, so there's 11. And Jesus had sent them up to Galilee and said, I'm going to meet you up there. Galilee's in the north, Jerusalem's in the south. And so they went up to Galilee, they're waiting for Jesus, and here in Matthew 28, Jesus appears to them on a mountain. 
And so that's where we pick up. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice what the disciples do. Jesus shows up, and they fall before him and worship him. Makes sense, right? It makes sense that they worship Jesus. But understand, this was the very first time in the Gospels where it says that they bowed down to worship Jesus. They fell at Jesus' feet in fear, in awe, but to actually worship him as God. This was the very first time And notice, they fall down in worship, but some doubted. Some were hesitant. Some said, I don't know if this is what we're supposed to do. Why? Well, because they're good Jewish boys who grew up knowing that you worship no one and nothing besides God and God alone. And here is Jesus, whom they've been hanging out with for the last three years. Yes, they saw him rise from the dead, but there's a little hesitancy in their heart. Should I be worshiping Jesus? It all goes back to the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Is he just a great teacher? Or is he God himself that deserves my worship and praise? And that's a question that lingers today, isn't it? Is Jesus just a good teacher? Or is he God? It's a question that actually had been around since Jesus was there, not just from the disciples, but if you remember, a rich young man came to Jesus, and what did he say? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? For 2,000 plus years, people have viewed Jesus as a good teacher. But is he more than that? Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says that Jesus doesn't give us room to just call him a good teacher. Because Jesus, from his very claims, claims to be God. He claimed to be able to forgive sins, which only God can do. Here, in Matthew 28, what does he claim? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, all authority in heaven, God's home. I have it. I have all authority. And so C.S. Lewis' point is that Jesus is either a liar, he's crazy, or he is who he says he is, Lord. See, if we want to just say that Jesus is a great moral teacher, understand there are big-time problems with just calling him that. He's a great moral teacher, if that's all he is, he's a great moral teacher, and he's deranged. He's crazy, because he claims to be God. And so if he's a great moral teacher, but he's deranged, is he really that great of a moral teacher? He's a great moral teacher, but he's a liar then, because he claims to be God. Should we listen 
to the great moral teachings of a liar. Okay, well, maybe he's a great moral teacher, but he's kind of legendary, like a Paul Bunyan-type character, where it's more legendary than anything. We take what we get from him. The only problem is that Jesus is proven outside of Scripture. And that's what Lee Strobel found out. Lee Strobel was a a journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times back in the 80s. And he grew up a journalist. That was his profession. And so what does he know as a journalist? Present the facts. You need to dig and find the facts for something to be true. And he ended up marrying a, a Christian. And finally he decided, you know what? I'm going to prove my wife wrong, and I'm going to dig and find the facts. Now, husbands, uh, you probably know this, but guys, if you are aspiring to be uh, married one day, it is not a good idea to put on your to-do list to prove wife wrong. It's not going to go well for you. And it didn't for Lee Strobel. What Lee Strobel found out as he dug into the facts is that even if the New Testament wasn't around, there are, you can learn the biography of Jesus from outside of the New Testament from Jewish historian Josephus and Roman historians Pliny and Tacitus. More than that, what he found out is that over a hundred events of Jesus' life are corroborated by outside sources to the New Testament. Jesus isn't legendary. Jesus is real. And Jesus is exactly who he says he is. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, he is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's your first point today. Jesus has all authority. A pretty simple fill in the blank, but a pretty significant fill in the blank. Jesus has all authority. All. The reason the sun rises is because Jesus tells it to. Jesus has authority over the politicians. He has authority over the corrupt governments. He has authority over the dictators. He has authority over the the angels, the demons. He has authority over Satan. They're not co-equals. Jesus is the authority, and Satan answers to Jesus. He can't do anything outside of Jesus' authority. Jesus has full authority. Or we could put it this way. Uh, Jesus isn't the majority shareholder of authority, as if like he has 75% shares and, and the rest is scattered around. No, no, no. Jesus is the only shareholder of authority. He has it all. And everyone and everything in heaven and on earth answers to him. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that Jesus has all authority? A part of us loves it, don't we? A part of us says, yes, Jesus has all authority, and those corrupt politicians that I can't stand, oh, they're going to have it coming, because Jesus has full authority. A part of us loves it. Jesus has all authority. Satan, you're in check because Jesus has all authority. But do you know who else he has full authority over? 
you. You see, we like to convince ourselves that we're the authority and that Jesus is kind of co-authority with us. But that's not how it works. Jesus is the only shareholder of authority, including over you. Therefore, Jesus gets to tell you how to think. He gets to tell you how to act. He gets to tell you how to speak. Jesus is the sole authority in heaven and on earth. If you want to work through an interesting exercise, think about this. I already said it, but why does the sun rise? Because Jesus tells it to. The sun doesn't get to say, ah, I don't feel like going up this morning. No. Jesus commands it, it goes up. If you think through the Bible, Jonah swallows, or uh, the fish swallows Jonah, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days, and what does, God, what does the Bible say? God commanded the fish to spit Jonah up, and the fish said, no, I like Jonah in my belly. No. The fish spit Jonah up. Uh, Jesus, on a boat with his disciples, and, and a severe storm came where the winds and the waves were crashing over the boat, and they were going to sink. And what does Jesus do? He stands up and says, quiet, be still. The storm doesn't get to say, no thanks, I'm going to keep raging. It immediately went quiet. Lazarus died. And he was in the grave for four days. And Jesus stood before the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come out. And the grave didn't say, over my dead body, Lazarus came out. Because everything submits to Jesus' authority. And yet here we are and we say, thanks for your suggestion, Jesus. But I'm going to do this instead. That is a very, very dangerous place to be. You see, in our minds, we know that Jesus, we know Jesus claims to have all authority. We know that he's Lord of heaven and earth. We know that he, he can tell us what to do because he's God. And yet the way we practice it, we practice, our practice shows that we sometimes, or all the time, believe Jesus is just a great moral teacher where we pick and choose what we want to take from him. And yet Jesus has sole authority. He tells us what to do with our finances. He tells us how to think. He tells us how to speak. He tells us what to do. And yet how often we rebel against that authority. Do you know who else did? Satan. Scripture tells us that when when God created the heavens and the earth, After six days of creation, everything was perfect, and yet what did Satan do? He said, God, I don't like your authority. And he rebelled against God. And you know what God did? He said, fine, you're going to hell. And he cast out the devil with the evil angels with him and said, that's it. Angels, you've lost free will. Here are the elect angels that will serve me. Here are are Satan and his evil angels, and there's no saving them. They're done. You don't want to listen to my authority? You can suffer in hell. And now here we are. Not even an almighty angel. I shouldn't say almighty because he's not God. But a mighty angel who has power, who can carry out God's will. And here we are rebelling against the authority of Jesus. 
And now maybe we're sitting here thinking, oh boy, now I hope Jesus is legendary. Because if not, I'm in some trouble. Why in the world would we want to go and tell anybody about this Jesus? Why would we want to go and carry out the mission to go and make disciples a follower of Jesus if he has all authority and when we rebel, we deserve death? Because there's something significantly different about this Jesus, about this leader, about this King of kings and Lord of lords who has all authority. It's found in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. It's the night before Jesus dies. He's in the upper room with his disciples and he's getting ready to celebrate the Passover and institute the Lord's Supper. And then later that night he's going to be arrested and, and taken for trial and get ready to, to die. Here's what we're told in John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus is God. He's God from all eternity, and yet at one point he, he became human being, stepped into this world, took human form, was called Jesus, and at that moment he set aside his full authority. And yet what do we hear in John chapter 13? In the upper room, the night before Jesus died, God the Father gave him back all of his authority. Everything, all things were under his power. Why is that significant? Because what did Jesus go and do? He willingly went to the garden where he willingly allowed a friend to betray him, where he willingly allowed the guards to arrest him and drag him to a sham of a trial, where the, the religious leaders and the Roman guards beat him, where he willingly let them spit on him, where, the, where he willingly let them put a crown of thorns on his head and dig it into his skull, where he willingly stood before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate as if this Roman governor had more authority than he did, where he willingly allowed them to yell, crucify him, crucify him, where he willingly was dragged out of the city. He willingly carried his own cross, and he willingly laid on the cross and allowed them to nail him to it, where he willingly was suspended in the air and allowed death to take him over. Because all things were under his power, death couldn't just take him. He had to allow death to take him. Why would he do it if it was all under his control? Because this is the thing about the God who has all authority. He's all, he also has complete love for you, and that's your next point. Jesus has all authority and complete love for you. Jesus is different than any other CEO. He's different than any other ruler because he didn't come to rule to benefit himself. He came to rule to save you. He didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for you. He didn't come to gain a bunch of worshipers for himself. He came to redeem his lost people. 
And if you want, to, if you want some uh, value, some worth, God didn't do this for the angels, but he did it for you. Jesus left his throne. He gave up all authority and allowed himself to be under authority to save you, to forgive you. Why did he do it? Because sin brought death. Sin brought separation from God, and if we weren't redeemed, if we weren't saved, we'd be lost eternally. And no matter what you and I do, no matter how hard we try, we can't prevent it. We can't prevent death. We can run from it, but it'll catch us. And so Jesus, God's own Son, the one who has all authority, died to forgive you. Jesus died to rise from the dead to prove that he and he alone has authority over death. No one else does but Jesus. Why does Jesus say, go and make disciples? Because there's no name under heaven by which we must be saved except for Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who has all authority, who from his throne declares that you are forgiven. From his throne promises that he will raise you back to life one day, and he can do it because he has the authority over death. And this is why we go and make disciples. If you would have asked me last week why we go and make disciples, I would have told you, well, because Jesus died, he forgives us, and he rose again. And yet that's not the reason Jesus gives, is it? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, he has authority over death, he has authority over sin, go and make disciples. Go and make followers of Jesus because this almighty God, the one who has all authority, has complete love for you and me that he forgives our sins and conquered the grave. This is why we go and make disciples. As we close up, I want to, three quick applications for you. Number one, Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority and that means we should have a humble heart. We should have a heart that says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Shape me, mold me, correct me, rebuke me. Why? Because not only does Jesus have all authority, he has complete love for you and me. And so when he tells us to do something, when he commands us not to do other things, it's out of love for you and me. It's because he knows what leads to death and he knows what leads to life. And he wants you to have life. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. But he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so let's listen to him. Let's submit to him. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Number two, go and make disciples. Go and tell others about Jesus. I talked to a dying man yesterday. I received a phone call that a man was in the hospital, uh, a, a father of a friend, and he was asking if I could come and meet with his dad. His dad has maybe a week left. And I got to the hospital, and I, I sat with him, and I said, I, I know that I don't know you very well. We've talked just a few times. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you haven't done. 
but that's okay, I don't need to know you. Because I know my Savior Jesus, and I know your Savior Jesus. And here's what he says to you in Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I said, you're not saved because of anything you've done or haven't done. You are saved completely by the grace of our Lord Jesus, who died for you and rose again. And I said, do you believe this? And the man is in such rough shape that he can't even speak a single word. All he could do with tears in his eyes, shake his head yes. That man's going to be in heaven in probably a week. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has authority over sin. The Lord Jesus has authority over death. And that man believes in his Savior who accomplished it for him. You don't need a master's in divinity to tell somebody that. You need Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 and to tell them, Jesus loves you, he died for you, he rose for you. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven is yours. And the only way we can tell somebody that and with confidence know that they are going to be in heaven, that their sins are forgiven, is because Jesus has sole authority. He alone is the, the only shareholder of authority in heaven and on earth. And that's for you. And it's for your loved ones. What joy to know that when, when that time comes, when our loved ones die, that we get to entrust them to the Lord who has sole authority over heaven and on earth, who's forgiven sins and has conquered the grave. Last point, application point. Go with confidence. Because the Lord who has all authority goes with you. Jesus says at the end, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You go and make disciples not by yourself. I can't make disciples by myself. You can't, but Jesus can, and Jesus will, because he promises to go with you. And so go and make disciples, because you know the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, who's forgiven sins, who's conquered the grave, and will one day bring you to his side in heaven and all your loved ones who believe in him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for having all authority in heaven and on earth. We thank you that even though uh, you are the ruler of rulers, the king of kings, uh, you do not rule for your own glory, uh, but instead you rule to save sinners like us. We thank you that you have done that, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, so that all of our sins are forgiven and that we know without a doubt that you have power even over the greatest enemy that we face, and that is death. Uh, death separates us from you, separates from our loved ones, and yet you have complete control over it, and you will one day raise us back to life because that's your promise. You are the resurrection and the life. As we consider and ponder your authority, we ask that you fill us with comfort knowing that you are all loving and that you have all authority and all power to do anything that you, uh, that you want. And that is true as we see you die and rise again. Be with us. Send us out. Give us the opportunities to tell others about Jesus. As, uh, as we consider this mission over the next four weeks, we ask you to bless it. We ask you to help us to make it practical. Let us find meaning. Uh, and let us be filled with confidence knowing that it's not about us, it's about you, the Lord who has saved us all. In your name we pray. Amen.